can grab a seat if you like. Testing and checking. You can grab a seat if you like. Good morning. This is going to be the You Snooze, You Lose service. We're going to hop right into uh, teaching and stuff right now. So we'll just have to awkwardly look at all the people that walk in late together. Okay? Now, I thought I'd uh, decentralize the message a little bit and move it, move it around to a new place. How's everyone doing? Good. Got to love the weather. I'm with Brad. It's my favorite time of year. Uh, it's springtime. It's the time where everything's just kind of, you know, coming to life. So it's also an exciting time. If you're ever going to uh, have, a, have a child in life, it's a great time to have a child. And I happen to be having one with my wife in June. Um, so our third baby's coming. <laughs> I said to the first service, we clap for anything, right? You know, we're having a baby. Right, yeah. Thank you for not doing the awkward standing ovation. Um, we are having a baby in uh, June. <laughs> We are, we are very excited, and it's, uh, it's kind of going to be new territory for us. It always is when you're parents and you have another child. But I guess this far, thus far, we've been able to say, well, we can handle this because Cassie is an only child. My wife, Cassie, is an only child. Uh, so when we just had Elijah, it was easy for her to say, well, you know, this is, this is what it's like with just one. And now that we have two, you know, I'm able to, I have just one brother, and I'm able to say, well, this is, Cassie, this is what it's like with two. And, uh, but now three, it's just a total mystery. There's no one, there's no one in our uh, family that knows, you know, our immediate family that knows what this is like. So it's going to be very interesting. You know, I launched out the joke first service and it, it didn't go so well. I don't know. My in-laws were here and I, I was telling the joke that Bill Cosby always tells about uh, if you're a parent of just one child, you're not really a parent at all. Does anyone know, anyone know that joke where he's saying, you know, because if you only have one kid and something gets broken, you know who did it, right? <laughs> And you don't have to deal with the stop touching me, stop touching me, stop touching me, right? Uh, so I threw out that joke for a service jokingly, and I looked over my in-laws. I don't know if they were laughing. Uh, we'll find out later, right? Where's my wife? Cassie, where are you? Oh, hi. Okay. Uh, so hopefully they forgive me. That's what I'm talking about today, so I hope it goes hand in hand with that, right? Um, another funny thing, I, just, I need to kind of get off my chest in front of everybody because I... It's getting, again, I'll use the word awkward. Uh, I just want everyone to know, so it's not like I'm hiding it. I just started baking recently. Um, I know that sounds funny, but... I just don't want it to be awkward like when I walked into Women to Women where the college group was meeting next door to Women to Women on Thursday and I had this, you know, what I cooked for the college group and this woman was like, so what you got there? I was like, uh, nothing, you know. You know, you don't want to be the guy cooking, but let me just tell you what happened. Uh, it, my wife, Cassie, she's pretty much started to do majority of the cooking as far as main meals. And when we first got married, we cooked together a little bit. And so I feel a little bit left out, I guess. So I was saying I wanted to take on something. So I was like, let me take on desserts. Let me try out some desserts. So it's not like I've cooked that much, but I've cooked a few things. And uh, I'm, try, I'm trying out a few dessert uh, pastry baking items. And uh, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of fun right now because it's at that stage. I was saying it's kind of like my golf game where I, I don't... It's nothing personal. You're not going to offend me if you tell me I'm, I'm not that good. You know, same thing with golf, same thing with my, my baking right now. It's, it's, I'm so new that it's okay. I will forgive you if you have something mean to say uh, about my cooking. If you happen to get to taste any of it, um, I will be very forgiving and I, I need forgiveness. So 
It's a bit of what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. You know, today, if you, if you didn't realize, today's April 20th, and that marks nine years, a nine-year anniversary for uh, Columbine, and uh, that's something we're going to remember together today. Not all of you know my story, and I'm going to share a bit more of it in, in a little bit, but I graduated in, in 2000 from Columbine High School, so I actually went through the shooting there in 1999 and uh, uh, lost, uh, uh, lost a lot, but I lost a close friend here, Cassie Bernal, um, in that time. I'm going to talk a little bit more about my story in a bit. And uh, before I do that, though, I think uh, what I want to focus in on this morning is what I feel like is the greatest message that came out of that time in my life. And I feel like it's one of the core messages we have as followers of, of Jesus. And that is the message of forgiveness. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this idea of forgiveness through two lenses. Okay, we're going to look at it through receiving forgiveness. Okay, ourselves being forgiven, receiving and showing forgiveness. In other words, telling someone else they're forgiven. We're going to kind of look at it through those two, those two lenses and, you know, a few, a few questions maybe. Is God's love strong enough to deal in those two areas? That's a question we have to ask. And does God's love really call us to go there? I'm going to suggest that the act of forgiveness, both ways, giving and receiving, is essential in, practice, in the practice of following Jesus. Um, Jesus speaks about it. He demonstrates it. And... I would also suggest that the nature of forgiveness in our faith is it's not practical, it's not reasonable necessarily, it's often radical. It's a radical forgiveness that Jesus teaches and lives. And so it requires a real faith, I believe, to practice and live in our, in our own lives. Before we get into that, I thought I'd show you this a man on the street interview. I like the idea of a man on the street interview where they go, man or woman on the street interview, where they go and just interview random people on, a, on any given topic because you just get a variety of people's just quick responses to things. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be comical. I know some of you have seen Jay Leno when he does these man on the street things and, you know, catches people that don't know something about, you know, historical fact that it seems like everybody should know or something about the government. Um, you know, so it can be comical, but it also can be a time for self-assessment. When we see a lot of people, how they answer a question in, in public, we, we can think to ourselves, well, how, what would I have said to that? How would I have answered that? So I'm going to have you watch this video. This is a, was actually done by, a, I think, a prison ministry group. So it deals more with forgiveness in the area of um, people who have committed crimes. But I think it's very relevant to what we're going to talk about this morning. And so as you watch this, I want you to consider what answer you might have given to the questions they throw out. And also what you think of the different answers that are given by, by the people in the video. So let's, let's take a look. Would you answer one question for us? What is it? We're wondering if people should be known for the worst thing they've ever done. If you were known for the worst thing you've ever done, what that would be like. I don't want to be known for the worst no. thing I've ever done. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> I'd be really embarrassed. It would be awful. Yeah, I think, I think people would look down on me. Yeah, it would be horrible. Yeah. Well, it might depend on what crime you've committed. You'd never get rid of the guilt feelings. Do you think when people are convicted of crimes, they should be known for it for the rest of their life? Absolutely not. That's where grace comes in. We all deserve a second chance. Uh, that's a touchy subject. I don't know. It depends on what the crime was. I don't have a good answer for that. I'm not. I really don't want to comment. They deserve to be forgiven, but, you know, it never should be ever forgotten. Well, I mean, if you've been convicted of a crime and you served your punishment, then I, I feel that's redemption. If, if we don't believe in change, then what's the point? What's the use? I think everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody? Pedophiles? That makes it a little harder. 
you think people that have been convicted of crimes should always be known for their crimes instead of the other things that they've done? Oh, yeah. Just always be like that person, they're a criminal. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is, but yeah, they should be, you know, asked. Uh, should we put be, it on their forehead or something, or what? What? How should we um, identify them? Uh, Someone who is is convicted of a of a heinous crime is no different than you, and that you have the same weaknesses, and. You are, again, whether you're comfortable with it or not, you are still capable of those exact same things. So it's, it's, it's not our job to judge um, that's, uh, that's left in the hands of a higher power. Do you think when people are convicted of crimes, they should be known for it for the rest of their lives? It all depends, you know what I'm saying? You know, if they're willing to make a change, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody deserves a second chance. That's what it's saying in the Bible. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to forgive everybody. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nobody better than the next person. And ain't no sin greater than the next. Do you ever forgive? Yeah, you forgive. God forgive. So, yeah. I mean, he set the, he set the uh, foundation for everybody to be able to forgive. Because if, if he can forgive the sins that was done to him, then... There's nothing else in the world that couldn't be forgiven. It's just up to you if you um you can forgive them, but it's up to you if you still want to deal with them or not. Now that's the question. Yeah. How many times do you think God forgives? Uh, there's no number. Yeah. There's yeah. no number. Over and over. No matter what. He's doing it now. Do you think God gives people a second chance? No matter what. God gives doing. people as many chances as they need. You know, if, if he only gave me two chances, I'd be in trouble. Me too. Well, I think the only one that can give you true forgiveness is through God. So, And, and the church is the one that spreads God's love and his message. So, Does the church always spread God's love? No. It fails most of the time. Do you think if you'd done something like that, would you go to church and believe those people would forgive you? The church, the church, the people around the church, depending on how their personality is and then what all they believe in also. They can call themselves a Christian, but then sometimes, you know, people like they'll say one thing, but then do another. Do you think everybody, no matter what they've done, So, just a few ideas there. You probably, as you watch that, you're probably able to listen to some people and say, oh, I really agree with that thought. You know, I might have said that. And then others, you might say, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I really agree with that. And at the same time, you know, that video is, like I said, focused around the idea of criminals and crime. And so I think a lot of a lot of what's on our mind when we watch something like that is, gosh, what is there a crime that it is deep enough that is unforgivable, so to speak? And I think before we get to this this word forgiving and what we can forgive, I think we have to rewind a little bit and first talk about receiving forgiveness in our own lives and the importance of doing that and how that enable, enables us to be people who can forgive. Uh, I'm going to read a little something from Henry Nouwen. You probably are getting familiar with, if you're familiar with me, you probably know that Nouwen is my uh, top, probably spiritual thinker. And not even thinker, his life is incredible, so I often turn to his writing. This is a book from a devotional book called Bread for the Journey. I think it's, it is available in our library. Uh, amazingly, just to tell you, this is a book I read as a sophomore in high school as part of the Bible study. And I hadn't read this passage, or this quote, until I was working on this lesson and I remembered it all the way from sophomore year. So I hope I can give you an idea of really the, the fruit that's left over from the time I was in youth group and what we still strive for with the youth here when we uh, work with them and study on Tuesdays and things. Let's read this together from now on. There are two sides to forgiveness, giving and receiving. 
Although at first sight, giving seems to be harder, it often appears that we are not able to offer forgiveness to others because we have not been able to fully receive it. Only as people who have accepted forgiveness can we find the inner freedom to give it. Why is receiving forgiveness so difficult? It is very hard to say, without your forgiveness, I am still bound to what happened between us. Only you can set me free. That requires not only a confession that we have hurt somebody, but also the humility to acknowledge our dependency on others. Only when we can receive forgiveness can we give it. So this is Nowen's idea. I'd like to maybe turn our attention to Jesus. How did Jesus deal with this issue of forgiveness? Is it something he emphasized or focused on? I would say it is in a lot of ways. You know, there's just too many, there's too many stories and sayings to cover. I was just talking to Todd for a minute about the scripture I'm about to share with you. And he was saying, well, you know, what's right after that? And, and, uh, and I said, and I was, couldn't remember and he said well it's this and it ties right back into that and the further and deeper you look into jesus ministry the more you see that this idea of forgiveness was was core to him a few weeks ago when i taught we talked about the story of the prodigal son what an incredible message of both giving and receiving forgiveness we're going to look at two more stories today if you want to turn to matthew chapter 9 you can if not you can follow along i think it's going to be up on the screen for you going to take a few a few glances at jesus's ministry Early on here in his ministry in, in, the, in Matthew's gospel, we have this story, uh, the story of the paralytic. We'll read together starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. So at first glance, we read this, and maybe you've heard it before, and it's like, wow, it's another healing of Jesus. That's awesome. This guy was in need. He healed him. But there's something really curious that happens. I don't know if you caught it. To me, it was, anyway. We have some men who brought him a paralytic, lying on a mat. Okay? So, clearly, there's these, these friends, and they have this friend who's paralyzed. He's in need physically, right? And they brought him to Jesus. We have another description in, in, in the uh, different gospel of the lengths they went to get him to Jesus. And they bring him, and they finally get him to Jesus, and... And here's Jesus, and you know what Jesus can do. And Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. A little curious? A little strange? You know, I'm thinking if I was the friend, I'd be like, wait, what? We brought him to heal him, the paralyzed, you know? We thought you healed people. But Jesus throws this twist and it says, your sins are forgiven. It's like, okay, you know? And then... And then what do we have here with what the teachers of the law are thinking? Jesus tells them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up, take your mat, and go home. Well, what's happening here? What is Jesus telling us about the importance or the significance of receiving forgiveness from him in our hearts? You know? These people wanted a sign, right? Something outward, physical, that you can do to me, Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying... Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? And he's saying, oh, okay, fine. We, I know you want to see something outward. I'll, I'll, I'll heal. Okay, you're healed. 
but he seems to make this emphasis that before, before the healing, before the physical, comes something internal that Jesus wants to do with, with this man's heart and with our hearts. And that would be reconciliation to him, forgiveness. An interesting picture. Let's look at one more in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we'll read starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, another twist here. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now, go now and leave your life of sin. So, we've got a lot of things going on here. We have religious people, okay? People who hold to following God. And what are they saying? Well, they want to know, Jesus, how are you, how are you going to deal with this person's failings? This clearly public failing. They've, they've screwed up. They've messed up. The law commands us to do this. And to the Pharisees, Jesus says, enough. Enough. You are as needy of mercy as the next person. That's what he tells them. And in fact, he says, let, the, let, let he who has no sin be the, f- the first to throw. You know, they begin to leave one by one. And John adds, maybe a little jab, but he says the older ones leave first. Right? What's, what's that saying? Well, it's maybe those who have lived longer are able to reflect more and see their need. Their, they have a greater need for mercy the longer we live. Maybe. And so the woman, what does he say? He says, there's consequences. It's, it's not that Jesus is dismissing what has happened. There's consequences for what you've done here. But I don't condemn you. I forgive you. And now you need to go and follow a new way. So Jesus shows us in these two stories that to follow him, we have to learn this art this art of showing mercy and receiving it. And there's so many other instances, you know, that we can't go into where Jesus addresses this, you know, Peter asking, how many times, Lord, should I forgive when I'm wrong? Seven, you know, 70 times seven, says Jesus. And Jesus describes that the blood of his covenant was for the forgiveness of sins, for us to receive that. Jesus reminds us that in praying, if we hold something against a brother, we should forgive him first so that we may be forgiven. Almost suggesting that if we can't live out forgiveness, there's a, a block to our prayers. We cannot receive what we cannot give. Jesus says, if we've been forgiven only a little, we can only love a little. Isn't that interesting? If we haven't been able to receive his mercy. And in one of maybe the most dramatic statements, we have Jesus on the cross, right? On the cross. Hanging on the cross, and he suggests of those who put him there, forgive them, Father, 
they do not know what they are doing. This is a radical forgiveness we're dealing with. Jesus is giving forgiveness, it seems here, to those who don't even acknowledge what they've done. That is a difficult thing to deal with. So Jesus is claiming this forgiveness as, as a critical part of, of the biblical narrative of what it means to follow him. I think uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Maya's story. Uh, he shared a lot with his family, and it was just moving to, to hear how God has, especially for me, a, a good friend of Maya's, to see how God has moved in that family over the years. And I started to think about all, all that he shared, and I thought, wow, this family has had to practice reconciliation and has had to practice forgiveness, both giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. You know, Maya was bold enough to call together the family to meet and to, in a sense, share their stories and to heal out of that. And you can, you can begin to see the peace that's brought the family in different, in different ways based on them practicing this forgiveness we're talking about. That's one, one big part of it. I'm going to do, uh, before, before we move on, it's time for us to consider this in our own life. I want to give you one more quote from now and about forgiveness. Now it says this, We are all wounded people. Who wounds us? Often those whom we love and those who love us. And when we feel rejected, abandoned, abused, manipulated, or violated, it is mostly by people very close to us. Our parents, our friends, our spouses, our lovers, our children, our neighbors, our teachers, our pastors, those who love us wound us too. That's the tragedy of our lives. That is what makes forgiveness from the heart so difficult. It is precisely our hearts that are wounded. We cry out, You who I expected to be there for me, you've abandoned me. How can I ever forgive you that? Forgiveness often seems impossible, but nothing is impossible for God. The God who lives within us will give us the grace to go beyond our wounded selves and say, In the name of God, you are forgiven. Let's pray for that grace. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. You have a bit of paper in the uh, bulletin that they hand out. And I'm asking if you have a pen or pencil to write with that's your own, if you could pull that out. If you don't, uh, just raise your hand while I'm setting this up. The ushers have some nice golf pencils to give to you. And they would be happy to hand one your way. Mr. Fiegler in the middle there, he's got some pencils for you. This is what I'm going to have you do. I think at times... There's something to be said about writing, writing out something. Writing down our story, as, as Maya said a few weeks ago, but also writing out our prayer. I'm going to ask you two simple questions to consider in this next time of worship. And I ask you to take time with this. As we sing, you can sing with us, you can pray, you can just be quiet and still, you can write. But two simple questions. The first one is this. Where is the place I need to receive forgiveness? Where is a place I need to receive forgiveness? In other words, where is a place that you've wounded someone? You've hurt a friend, a neighbor, a spouse, a stranger. Where is a place you need to receive forgiveness? Where have you fallen short of the way of Jesus and you've chosen yourself instead? Where have you had the, the pride? Maybe you know you're wrong. Maybe you know you've done someone wrong or something wrong. But you've had too much pride to be able to just say, I'm sorry, forgive me. You know, that's such a big thing in marriage, isn't it? when you know someone that well and you're in a marriage, I'm just giving one example for me, a married guy, that we know when we've done wrong, but sometimes there's just, not, there's just too much pride to be able to just say, I'm sorry. 
So that's the first question. Where's the place I need to receive forgiveness? And the second question is this. Where's the place I need to show forgiveness? Think about it. What hurt or wound you've experienced in your life? Sorry, what, what hurt or wound that you've experienced in your life do you continue to let control you? Your thoughts? Your life? Or when have you recently chosen to show pride rather than mercy to someone who's wronged you? Or is there someone who's done something wrong to you and they're not even close to being able to acknowledge that they've done you wrong and you're willing in faith to say, Father, forgive this person. I forgive them. They don't know what they've done to me, but I'm going to live in forgiveness. So as we continue to worship these next two songs, I want you to deal with these questions. Again, feel free to take the time to write, to pray, to sing with us, to slow down your heart long enough to consider these questions with God. Well, you know, it's interesting as you, as you sing that song, they'll know we're Christians by our love. It's dealing in the context of the church, right? It's talking about how those or maybe not even the church, but followers of Christ, how they are going to witness God's love to the world. So it's interesting that sometimes when we think of forgiveness, we think of all the hurt um, maybe outside of the church, that that's where it should exist. But I think those of us who are, are real know that a lot of the greatest hurt can happen within the church and with people of faith. And so there's a challenge in there. And of course, there's a challenge from Christ and how we live in that way. I wasn't going to mention this, but I... Watched a movie the other day. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Into the Wild. And I guess it caught me off guard a little bit. I, I, I guess I may have been expecting something differently. Um, I think I, I thought it was going to be about this person who just had all this joy in life and decided to go live out with the bears or something. But if you've seen the movie, you know it's actually pretty heart-wrenching uh, in a lot of ways because you see a, a young man, a college graduate, who's been pretty devastated by his family. Been, he's been pretty hurt. And in a lot of ways, he's trying to move on from that time in his life, from his family and all the pain, from his parents and different things. And he, he, he can't quite get away. Um, and there's, there's, there's a scene in the movie that I, I thought was very interesting. You know, he meets different people along the road. And one, one man he meets is an, an older gentleman. He's pretty old. And he's, he's a man who's lived a long life and has a lot of wisdom. And there's wisdom that's kind of being shared between this older gentleman and the young man who's going into the wild. He's, he's, his heart's set on going to Alaska. And there's this moment where, you know, the older gentleman realizes that there's a lot of pain in this young man's life based on his family. And, you know, I, I don't know the exact line, but he pretty much says, you know, what about forgiveness? You know, you can't, you can't run from it your whole life. Are you able to forgive? And there's this, there's this glimmer of hope for a moment. If you've seen the movie, there's this almost point where you think he might be able to come to some sort of resolution in his heart with all the, the wrong that's been done to him. And it's a second and then it, it, it goes away. And it's, it's a difficult thing. It was a difficult thing for me to watch when I was kind of getting ready for today. These main, major things in life that we have to deal with the area of forgiveness. I have one, personally, you know, coming back to Columbine in my story. Like I said, you know, nine years ago today, in five minutes. I mean, it's like, it's, it's just interesting. I just looked up at the clock. It's like, I was in a choir classroom at Columbine High School when shooting started, right? And I was in a choir of about 100, and as the kind of the chaos came, came through, about half of my class got out immediately, and another half of us stayed in the room. And I remember, 
very clearly the whole the whole situation. You know, I think it's like people who have war stories and these kinds of things. My dad one time he said, you should just write down everything that happened. And I've always wanted to, but the thing is, I don't need to in a lot of ways. It's just right here. So I remember hitting the ground and praying. And no exaggeration, I remember one of the first things that rolled off my lips was, Father, forgive whoever is doing this. They don't know what they're doing. We didn't even know the situation. And there we were. Um, we ended up in a teacher's closet for hours, about 40 of us, before we finally got out. And uh, we were okay. And, you know, I've, the bizarre part of that, I can't share that whole time in there because it's too much. Uh, I don't have enough time. But I will say this. The bizarre thing and crazy thing about that day was I've never experienced the closeness with God like I did in those moments. You know, the first 20 minutes of that shooting, the time I, I hit the ground and prayed, the time I was with my classmates in this, in this, in this teacher, teacher office. God was closer than ever. What is that all about? I don't know if I can ever understand it or why I was given that peace in that moment. You know, we were thrust into something pretty unimaginable. At age 17, I lost good acquaintances and I lost one good friend, Cassie Bernal, who was, was my wife's probably best friend in the group. We dealt with that, and less than 24 hours after emerging, if you were around here, then you know. The world media was here, and we were sharing our stories. Uh, our story of our friend Cassie, the continuing story of our youth group. And we had to focus in on what our message was going to be coming out of that tragedy. We wanted to mature and love our friends. We wanted to be better at loving people, because um, we, we felt like we hadn't done a good enough job. And forgiveness was a part of our message, believe it or not. Forgiveness was a part of our message. We've traveled the world since then, a, a lot of us, speaking, sharing about our story. And it's always amazing to us when we share about Columbine and other communities. Uh, it, it's, nev- it, it's, nev- it's never not been the case where we go somewhere and Columbine is, or Cassie's story has transformed someone's life. Literally. People who are hundreds, thousands of miles away. You know, when we were in France talking at these schools... You'd meet, this, you'd meet some European guy who read Cassie's story and he dropped everything to follow Christ and moved to Madagascar. And these stories, you just don't even believe them. It was your friend in high school, right? That's what we experienced apart from the Littleton community. And I'm just sharing my own experience. I too often felt like here in Littleton, there, was, there wasn't peace for many because we were very consumed in the blame game. You know, we were very, we were very consumed with who's to blame, who's at fault, who can I put the finger on? I'm aware that those questions have to be answered. You know, I just feel like as a group, our youth group then, you know, high school, we, we came together and we, we said, what are we going to do out of this tragedy? Are we going to be the people that said, who did what wrong? Are we going to say, how are we changed? How are we transformed? How are we going to go back in our context, which was high school, and be better, better demonstrators of God's love? And you know, the fruit of that time is in a lot of the young leadership now. And we feel like, we hope, the fruit of that time is in our, in our youth groups. You know, to this day, you can look around and our youth group still has an identity that is able to reach out to people who might not otherwise step foot in a church. Is that a good way of putting it, Matt? <laughs> you know, of course we want, you know, the, the church families and the church kids, but we also want to be a place where people who might not other, otherwise know faith can, can walk in and, and see God among us. That was, a, that was a, a, something we set down in 1999 as a group and said this is what we're about. And we hope that that is still moving forward in, in our group. We made a statement as a group. I'll give you one story of how this ties in maybe to the idea of forgiveness and, and how we chose to forgive. 
we made a decision as a church. This is something you know if you don't know this story. It's a part of who we are as a church. We made a prayer garden out to the west here on the field. And we made, we made a conscious decision to plant 15 trees to include the families of Eric and Dylan, the, the killers that day. You know, why would, we, why would we make a move like that? We felt it was critical as people who represented God as a community to, sh- to share with the Klebolds and the Harrises, those families, that we love you. We know your loss is even more bitter because you have to deal with the responsibility of what your kids did. And so we're, we're telling you by planting 15 trees that we love you. That you're forgiven. We're not holding a grudge against you. We weren't saying we condone what happened. We weren't memorializing killers. We were simply trying to send that message. And believe it or not, the message got through. We heard from both the families, and nobody had reached out to them. And they were, you know, it meant something to them that we did. So what happened when we did that? You know, I know some of you aren't going to believe this story, but we got picketed on a Sunday morning. Yeah, some of you don't know about this. We got picketed uh, by a group of people, a lot of them Christians, a lot of them not Christians. You know, we never wanted to cause this stir, but some people just couldn't handle what we were, what we were saying. We tried to explain what we were doing. didn't matter. They came in with really rough signs, you know, saying not so nice things right out here on a Sunday morning. And during our service, they went out and cut down those two trees. If you go out there today, you'll see all the trees and the two that were cut. They're just little bushes now. Um, and I was saying, the Abe Lincoln guy was here. I, John Burns confirmed that for me. You're saying, who's the Abe Lincoln guy? The Abe Lincoln guy, he's at every protest. Okay? I think he's still around. Any protest in Denver, there's always the guy with the Abe Lincoln outfit. It's something about America. I don't know. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have a dog in one fight. He has a dog in every fight. So he, Abe Lincoln was here that day. I thought I made that up, but John's like, no, he was, he was here, right? He was here, Matt. And you wonder how our group responded to this on a Sunday morning. They brought out donuts and coffee. We did. And we tried to love these people. We tried to live out forgiveness. I know Misty and Brad, as a family, reached out to the Klebolds too, which was just incredible to, to me as a, young, as a young man to see them do that. Misty talks about it in her book. It gave us a lot of strength. We were going to be defined by something different, something radical. Love for all. And that was our, our message going forward. And we realized we needed forgiveness too. Not that we were responsible for that day, but as a group we said we could do a better job. We failed in being representatives of Christ to the people in our schools. And so we moved forward with a real purpose. And God gave us incredible direction. This is big stuff, right? Columbine... When you talk about uh, that movie, I was saying parents and parents who've wronged their kids. These are big things. What about the day-to-day and how we live out forgiveness in the day-to-day? I was thinking about myself as a parent in my context. Uh, I really appreciated Dan last week. I thought he was incredible. Had a lot of just real insight. And he was talking about his daughter. She was so cute sitting down here. Uh, but he was talking about his daughter. I think she's like 10 now. But when he said when my daughter was three and she started asking or wanted to know if I thought she was pretty. And I had to laugh because I'm dealing with that right now with my two-year-old, Annika. And uh, we, just, we just have to smile and laugh at Annika sometimes because she's turned into this girly girl. She has to wear pink all the time. She's two. She's two. And if you know, if you know my wife, Cassie, she's a beautiful woman, but she's not the girl wearing all the pink you know, accessories. And, you know, she, that's just not her. But somehow our daughter, we were saying there's probably the, the mom that is, that is that girl and wants her daughter to dress up in pink. And then the girl's like, no. Uh, <laughs> Annika's thing now at two I was saying to the first service I was ready for this to happen when she turned ten I just didn't know it was going to happen at two uh, where she likes to look in the mirror and you know fling her hair and uh, she does and not only that she has this thing she wants to change clothes every hour because you know she, she's not satisfied with how she's matched up her colors 
And uh, so that's the thing right now. It's like, no joke. We have to, it's like, Annika, okay, this is the clothes you're picking this morning. Maybe this afternoon, if you're not satisfied, you can change once. But you can't change every hour, you know. We're not doing that today. So I was telling my father-in-law, Dave, uh, I, I was saying, can, can you imagine? And she comes out and she just kind of looks at me and she wants, she's waiting for me to say something to her. You know, Annika, you look beautiful. Look at your colors. Look at how beautiful you look. You know, and then she's happy and she runs off. And I was saying to my father-in-law, Dave, can you imagine a daughter that never, never heard that from a father? You know, daily, it's multiple, multiple times. Annika, look at you. And she, you know, she comes up and she wants me to see her outfit. And, you know, <laughs> two. So funny. Annika, look how beautiful you are. And I just said to Dave, can you imagine a, a young girl not getting this message from her father every day? <laughs> And it's like, I can't in my situation, but I know, I can't imagine it because I know lots of young women who did grow up in a context where they didn't hear that, you know, devastating. How do you deal with forgiveness in that, in that situation, you know, with family and loved ones? How do you deal with that? You know, and that might not be my deal that I have to look for forgiveness. But I do feel like as a parent, one of the biggest gifts I'm going to be able to give my kids you know, sometimes as parents, it's like, well, we have to teach our kids. We have to teach our kids to know when they've done wrong and be able to say sorry and understand. That's very important. I agree. It's, every kid needs to know that. But it's something we never really talk about much. Is it how we ask for forgiveness from our kids? You know, sometimes I think it's the attitude that the parents are supposed to be, you know, perfect. They're not going to make mistakes. Well, I know that's not me. And I've had some really powerful moments with Elijah, my son, who's turning five next month, you know, already so little, but where I've been able to go to him and say, Elijah, I'm sorry the way I spoke to you then. I'm sorry that wasn't fair. Can you forgive me? You know, I, I want to be the dad that is able to show my kids that not only, not only do I need to forgive them, but they need to forgive me, you know, because I'm not, I'm not perfect. And I, and I want my kids to see that in whatever it is, wherever it is I fail that I'm willing to go to them and, and talk to them and ask for forgiveness. So forgiveness is not just these major things. You know, it is. You know, the Columbines and the broken families and, you know, these major things. But it's the day-to-day, how we act and speak and treat one another uh, in our families, with our, in our friendships at work. How do we deal in this area of forgiveness? What do you think? Jesus asks always, what do you think? Is our God big enough to forgive us our wrongs? And is he big enough to forgive those who have wronged us? Again, I know it's not something to take lightly because I, I look out here and I can see some faces. It's like, you don't know my wounds. You don't know my pain. And I don't. But I have to believe that the love of the Father is deeper than those wounds. And that his forgiveness is greater. We're going to close this morning with, uh, we're going to do the offering song, but... This offering song is a look at the Lord's Prayer, and that's maybe the last place we haven't turned to with Jesus, and that is the Lord's Prayer. Isn't it interesting that this is the central prayer that Jesus gives us on how to pray? And what's one of the central messages within it? To forgive and to be forgiven, right? I mean, Jesus could have put a lot of things in there that would have been worthy and valuable, but he chose to include that. And I think that's important for us to remember. I'm going to ask us to stand together as we read the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll get ready for the offering. Let's read together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.